Welcome to the audio newsletter for the Northwestern Program in Sound Arts and Industries. I'm Brad West. In this episode, we kick off a series of profiles on sound professionals, people doing innovative work that really resonates. Sound work like this. That might be a familiar sound. It's from Jurassic Park, which is just one of the signature works of the sound professional we'll be talking with today. Gary Rydstrom, seven-time Academy Award-winning sound designer for iconic films like Saving Private Ryan, Titanic, Jurassic Park, and Terminator 2. Rydstrom just received his 18th Academy Award nomination for his work on Steven Spielberg's Bridge of Spies, a remarkable career achievement, especially given that it comes in the same year that another film for which he designed the sound has become the biggest U.S. box office release of all time. I'm talking about Star Wars The Force Awakens. Rydstrom is a great example of a sound professional who has both the respect and acclaim of his peers and the ability to create work that reaches the broadest possible audiences. This is Professor Jacob Smith, director of Northwestern's MA in Sound Arts and Industries. Rydstrom is also a key figure in the world of animation. He worked with Pixar from the beginning, even designing the signature squeaking of the Pixar lamp logo. and designed sound for the Toy Story films, Finding Nemo, Monsters, Inc., and Brave. He recently directed his first feature-length animated film, Strange Magic, for Lucasfilm. Rydstrom is among the most listened to sound artists of the past 20 years, someone whose sonic imagination has shaped the way we listen to the world. In a recent conversation, I spoke with Rydstrom about his career, the changing terrain of sound industries, and his enthusiasm for the new master's program in sound at Northwestern. Was there a key moment, uh, an ear-opening experience that kicked you off on the track to being a sound designer? Well, you know, I went to film school not to become a sound person. I went to film school to make films and to write and make movies. And then I remember doing sound for one of my student films, and it was the first time that I cut sync sound to a film. So it was a 16-millimeter film, and I cut some really basic sound effects. I think one of them was like a newspaper opening. And I went, this is great. It kind of brought the whole image to life in this really amazing way. There was something magical to me when I first actively cut sound to picture because the blend of those two things sometimes would do something wild and unexpected. The first sound that I, I cut professionally when, when I, was, I did a movie called Cocoon. Don't touch me. Don't touch you? What's the big deal? All right, I want to tell you the truth. You're not my first interior. I was looking for this alien glow sound, and I had just bought my wife-to-be some champagne glasses because she had just graduated from college. So I bought these really, for me, very expensive champagne glasses. So I brought them to the studio, and I did the glass harmonica trick with the, you know, the wet top of the champagne glass and made this glass harmonica tone. In fact, there was this um, essentially a love scene between uh, Tawny Welch and Steve Gutenberg in a pool one of the sounds is, you know, my girlfriend's champagne glass. What does sound design mean to you? Each film has its own tone. It, it requires a, a sound feeling unique to that film. Movies have to take the world and then reduce it to something that feels right for that movie. And sound design 
is globally about finding what the sound of the universe of a certain movie is. In a Star Wars film, which you know Ben Burt designed, there was a gritty, naturalistic, yet fun, funky sound tone. And I did Minority Report for uh, Steven Spielberg, and that was like a film noir. You're not going to kill me. Goodbye, then I did a movie called AI for Spielberg, which is a science fiction movie that was pretty. And even though it was tragic, it was a fable. So everything was not naturalistic at all, very stylized. Sound design, is, to me, is about choices you make. It's not about creating new sounds or black boxes or plugins. And it's really about making interesting choices that are appropriate, finding the, the important sound that'll help tell the story. The way different sounds combine, making dinosaur vocals and putting together a, a, a walrus and a dolphin and then become a raptor. And that, whoa, that's, that's something different. That's what I was looking to do. It's like genetics. You know, take this, take X and Y, put it together and make something you've never seen before. Star Wars has such an iconic sound design to it, and yet you were able to make it new. What was it like re-engaging with that sonic world? There's a nostalgia element to that film. So our most important job was to make it sound like Ben Burtt. A lot of the sounds in the movie do go back to sounds he made in 1977. Ben Burt was the original sound designer on Star Wars. He pioneered the use of found sound in Hollywood features. So when we make new sounds like Kylo Ren's lightsaber, um, it had to fit in that universe of, you know, hums and sparks and things, but yet be different. The best way I could uh, make for the new lightsaber fit the old lightsaber is Ben Burt did it. He found people with... Um, gap generators and weird physics labs that made these sparking sounds. So he recorded all sorts of whirring and humming, but as opposed to the pleasant hums that he made for the original lightsabers, these were not quite finely tuned, so everything was erratic and nasty. But it should seem like Kylo Ren kind of made this himself, and it was meant to be brutal, primitive, you know, scary. Uh, he was not into refinement making this lightsaber. BB-8 The Voice is a kind of a basic synthesizer. One twist on it was we used a thing called TalkBox, the old Peter Frampton trick. Played our synthesized sounds through a tube that went into Bill Hader's mouth. We'd articulate some patterns and things. What I like about BB-8 is his motors are part of his character, too. I love stepper motors. Stepper motors make these great little sounds, so every time his neck turns, it's a stepper motor. But when he rolled, I recorded computers with the back taken off, electronic kind of humming sounds from, from modern-day computers, but stealing an idea from Ben. When he recorded the original lightsabers, he took a shotgun microphone and waved it in front of a speaker and got the Doppler effect of the hum. So I took a microphone, hung it over the whirring computer sound, and then spun it in a circle. And you get this kind of rotating motor sound. There are some things that Chewbacca went through in this movie that are worse than anything Chewbacca went through before. One of the things that was most important to me was that Chewbacca be true to the old Chewbacca, but still have somewhere to go emotionally. First step is we hired Terry Acton, who was a sound editor on the original Star Wars films, going through Ben Burtt's library of Wookiee sounds, and then 
carefully choosing these what are really bare sounds, making Chewie come alive. But there are moments where Chewie has to really scream. So we we pushed a little further and had some new recordings that weren't officially Wookiee recordings to see if we can make a pain scream or something emotional for Chewie. There's too many of them. Movies are getting bigger. And instead of 20 lasers, now there's 50. Instead of 10 spaceships, now there's 20. That's a mixing issue for a movie like this. Lasers, you got to cut one at a time. And when you mix them, the secret is to find some focus for the mix. So it's not everything playing equally or at equal level. There's a real, this is the story point I want to hear. So I want to hear more of that laser or that's that X-Wing or that TIE fighter. I want to hear this explosion. You have to make choices about what you're going to hear that might not be the natural choice. You want to guide the attention of the audience to what you find most important. TIE Fighters. Ben started this trend with a Wilhelm scream, a scream that he found from a 1940s Hollywood movie. Wilhelm! Yeah, I'll just fill my pipe! It got so popular, people could hear it in movies. And it's in the movie traditionally, but I took that original Wilhelm scream and made a TIE fighter out of it. And it works great in the movie when the TIE fighters are crashing to the ground or falling to their death. If you listen carefully, you'll hear a, uh, a phased Wilhelm. So that is my secret, only for my Northwestern friends. When we first see Ray and she's inside that old abandoned ship and there's such a sense of this vast space that she's in, it seemed like a literally resonant but also kind of emotionally resonant sound moment. Well, that the moment you mentioned is a great moment for sound and especially great because JJ made the call. There was score there originally, but that's a spot where he took the music away for a little bit until Ray is introduced when she pulls her goggles off and comes out of that Star Destroyer. Then we see Ray and that's where the score starts. So there is a section inside this jungle Star Destroyer where we meet her with just the sounds. So you can imagine what gives you a sense of space there is reverb. So it has a, a multi-band reverb delay sound for her cable and her stepping on the metal and all that stuff echoes through all the speakers. So you get a great sense of space. It's a beautifully done introduction to her as, as filmmaking because she's this alone junker that you know lives this life that's sad. The loneliness comes from the scale of this vast space with this one little character in it. The sound really conveys that in this powerful way. It's great. You've had this amazing career doing sound for animation and recently directed a feature film, Strange Magic. How did you feel that your work in sound shaped your work as a director? This movie started as a George Lucas movie. It was his vision. I know he wanted originally to limit himself he said he would have loved to make a movie where everything was sung. Kind of a Les Miserables meets American Graffiti. He liked that idea of using songs from head to tail. And we needed a, a sad moment for Marianne after uh, you know, being jilted on her wedding day. So I love Burt Bacharach, so there is no better song. I'll never fall in love again. That song is used as a transition scene. So she starts out sitting at her dresser and crying and very sad and then by the end of that song section, she's transformed into a, a tough character. What do you get when you fall in love? Disney movies have what people call an I want song, where the main character sings about what they want in the story, and then hopefully an hour and a half later, they get it. And in this one, our character sang a I don't want song, and at the end, she got it anyway. No, I'll never fall in 
I love working with actors. They bring something to it intangible. Great actors have something special. And what's magic about actors in an animated film is they do it separately. You might record Alan Cumming on one day, and then three months later record Evan Rachel Wood as Marianne. And then we cut it together editorially, and you swear they're in the same room. Not only are they interacting, but they're falling in love. And they didn't even meet. Like so much of filmmaking, so much of sound is magic when it works. Rystrom is excited about the changing terrain of sound industries. I think this is an exciting time for people who want to go into sound. I'm getting a sense that more people want to go into it than ever before. There's two things going on. One is you can do a lot of sound work on your computer at home in a ways that I couldn't when I was a student or young. The other thing that's exciting is I think the media is changing. And there's new outlets for storytelling. Famously now, there's all this virtual reality, augmented reality. And I think in that realm, which is a big realm and it's going to get bigger, that sound's going to play a more important role than it ever has. Because in VR, I think sound is the key for guiding the attention of the audience. It's happening more and more too, where there are sound installations, which are art installations that are permanent in a space and make use of the space itself, museum or whatever it might be. Rydstrom grew up near Evanston and has a unique connection to Northwestern. When I was, uh, you know, high school age and grammar school, my parents always had season football tickets. I went to then Dyke Stadium all fall long and went to Northwestern games. And so in the same way that I became a better person by being a Cubs fan, I became a better person by being a Northwestern football fan. I've always had a, a special place in my heart for Northwestern. Things are turning around for the Cubs. And Northwestern. You know, and the football team, too. There's some pretty good seasons lately. So I always felt like I wanted to uh, return to Northwestern somehow. He was the keynote speaker at Northwestern's 2014 Sonic Boom Conference. The conference at Northwestern was great for me because any place I go or talk is usually cinema-focused. What I found fascinating at, at the Northwestern sound conference was it included people outside of my area, people in, who studied in the neurology of sound, the biology of sound, cochlear implants, algorithms to read what's going on in sound. I'm fascinated by how sound works. How does music work? How does it affect our brain? How do we hear? How does our hearing affect our emotion? Those are really important things for me, you know, for my jobs. And I don't get to talk to people who study that. So this was a bit mind-blowing to be able to reach outside of my parochial film world and talk to people who are passionate about sound, but for completely different reasons. It's something that I've never had happen except for coming to the conference. I know a lot of programs around the country and the world that teach filmmaking and sound, and the balance has to be found between teaching students about the technology, because technology is important in sound. The, the creative side of it it's hard to teach, it's hard to think about, it's hard to talk about. So I'm all for programs to figure out a balance. To me, sound is about feeling. That's the essence of sound. More than any other sense to me, sound is a, it's an emotional carrier. It's an emotional experience for us. Uh, not just music, all sound. Any program that treats sound in a bigger way, in an interactive and in an interdisciplinary way, uh, has the potential to really discover things or to inspire people to do better work. Anything that gets people to not only think about sound, but discover things about it, discover how it can be used in, in art or how it can be used in medicine. Well, I think that sound design would be better, people would do better work if they thought about what the research is about the psychology of sound or talk to artists who use sound, not for film, but just for the pure emotional impact of it. 
these are inspiring things to talk about. I don't know of any other program that combines these things, but to me it's a natural. It's such a major part of our existence. To find those connections could be very powerful. Don't forget that applications for Northwestern's MA in Sound Arts and Industries are open through February 15th. For more information, please email sound at northwestern.edu or look for us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the audio newsletter of Northwestern University's MA program in Sound Arts and Industries. Today's episode, Gary Rydstrom's Secrets of Star Wars Sound Design, featured an interview with Gary Rydstrom. Our show was edited by Brad West with original music by Brendan Baker. Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching Northwestern Sound to hear more about our program and about how sound works at Northwestern. <laughs>